Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Gardeners with Galaxy, a podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. My guest on this week's show is Dr. Carl Hassenstein, the Principal Investigator for the Plant Habitat Zero Two experiment, which is currently growing radishes on the International Space Station. Hello Carl, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So we're basically here to talk about your wonderful space radishes. Before we start, I, I would like to say something that has only marginally to do with my radishes. Oh, go ahead. And it is your radish. My radish? Oh, the, the space radish. <laughs> when, when I saw the, the logo, you know, I thought, okay, the astronaut makes sense, but why is the radish there? <laughs> <laughs> and so I was wondering, and I'm still wondering, why did you pick a radish? <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure there's a good answer to that question. Um, I was thinking maybe I would do a strawberry, which wouldn't make any more sense. But I, yeah. And then I found a, a clip art picture of a radish, which I just liked. So I put the radish. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I should tell you um, that there's actually a list of plants that are supposed to be good to grow in space. And it does include radishes, and it does include strawberries. It also includes potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Whose list is this? Uh, This is a list that was concocted, I would say, maybe 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's no good reason for the for the space radish, but I liked it. <laughs> it <Yeah>. made me laugh. <laughs> and I, maybe that's reason enough. Okay. So as I said, it's great to have you on the show today, and we're going to talk about your very exciting experiment, which is growing radishes on the International Space Station. You head up the Plant Physiology Lab at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. So can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of research that go on there? Well, of course, um, it, it's actually a very diverse program. And um, the space activities that we will be discussing uh, is, of course, the, the most prominent one. And uh, to me personally, the most exciting one. But the thing is that anytime you deal with plants and you come to appreciate how clever they approach problem solving, it is a very interesting incentive to look into the things that they do and how they do it. So I'm a physiologist and I wonder about the method of problem solving, literally. For example, uh, I give you a few examples. We we had just published a paper on the so-called resurrection fern. This is a fern that grows around here on all the beautiful oak trees. And when it rains, it's lush and green. And if it doesn't rain, it shrivels up and it looks dead as a doornail. And so how does this uh, fern survive? This is one of the issues. And we are still working on this. And it's fascinating. 
And this, by the way, is of interest for space applications because we want to have plants that are tolerant to drought conditions. Water is somewhat scarce on the moon and on Mars, and for that reason, that is probably a good idea to look into. Another thing that that I have looked at in the past had to do with NASA um, as well, and that was the um, verification, essentially, how plants respond to gravity, which is important when you study this. One needs to remove gravity in order to see the effect. So what we did a long time ago was use a totally different approach of moving the starch grains in the root tip, the amyloplasts, and the columella cells. And by being able to accomplish this without gravity and inducing curvature like in gravity, we could say, yes, this is actually the mechanism that induces the gravitropic response. In roots, at least. And we have done other things that have confirmed it in in shoots as well. And this is a very exotic name. I'm eager to tell you what it is. (laughs) It's it's, uh, referred to as high gradient magnetic fields that accomplish this feat. And so we, we had a space experiment actually flown twice. Um, the first time on STS-107, that's the one that didn't make it back. And then for the second time on uh, SpaceX-3 uh, that studied the, this effect and we could beautifully illustrate that the roots curve in response to this high-gradient magnetic field. So we know how to orient plants in space even there is no... Um, effective gravity, I should say. Okay, that's amazing. Okay. (laughs) So plant physiology is a wondrous thing then. Okay, so you've talked about a couple of the plant experiments that you've sent into space over the years. So so generally, prior to this point, what have you learned from your space experiments? Okay, so as I just explained, um, there are two tracks. Uh, one has to do with all the um, mechanics, the people, the procedure that is necessary to get things to go into space. Yeah. And then there's the science side. And so it depends what you're interested in. Um, it's fascinating to see how complicated things can be simply because you have to follow a protocol. Yeah. And because you have to follow a protocol with NASA, with any bureaucracy, it's difficult. It's unnecessarily difficult. And um, so th- this was a source of, of great frustration for a long time. I can imagine. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, that there is this resolve to get things done. And that's great. And we were able to get things done. And so um, on the science side, what, what I've learned is that plants are very sensitive to their environment. Yeah. And part of this space experiment that uh, proved that the displacement of a milloplast is actually the root cause for gravity sensing, there was another element that I did not anticipate. Okay. And here's the result. It's a little bit scientific. 
when you go into space and you look at the transcription of amylase, okay. you will see that the amylase transcription is down-regulated. And what does that mean? The digestion of starch is reduced. Okay. And the result is, we could verify this, that the starch grains actually get bigger. And so the plant, I anthropomorphize here, yep. the plant the plant thinks, ooh, I'm floating in space. I need to know where is up and where is down. I have to reinforce my sensing mechanism. So I have to make bigger starch plants. Okay. And that's what it does. And the way to describe it is actually something called proprioception. So which is something that you don't associate with plants, but they are responding to their environment in space. And so to me, that was the biggest revelation. Yeah. It's not just that you have a plant that goes into space and does the plant thing. The plant is actually experiencing weightlessness just like people do or, or animals. Yeah. You know? So this to me was very interesting. It is. That's fascinating. The plant is sitting there trying to make sense of the fact that it's just been blasted into space. With, yes. <laughs> with it, it can't possibly understand why that's happened. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the current experiment that's on the ISS is called Plant Habitat 2, and you're growing radishes in the advanced plant habitat. Can you explain what you're hoping to learn from this experiment? Yeah, sure. Um, as you may uh, know, there, if there is an APH2, there must have been an APH1. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and that plant um, experiment focused on Arabidopsis. Arabidopsis is sort of the, the uh, yardstick by which you measure plant biology these yeah. days. So... Um, there is the need to go beyond Arabidopsis because Arabidopsis may be fascinating for the science, but it's not good for a salad. <laughs> I mean, you can eat it, but it's minuscule. So there is a big problem, and the problem is transitioning from a purely science-driven Q&A session for the plants to yes. something where you say, plant, I want you to grow big and feed the astronauts. And that is the reason why I proposed an experiment that involved two things, actually a few more, but the two important ones are plants grow biomass, and number two, they do it quickly. You know, and uh, that was the reason for selecting um, the radishes. We were able to prove that you can actually consume not just the radish, the bulb, the bulbous tissue, but also the leaves. Yeah. And so you have a salad and you have your um, radish as part of it or separate from it. But um, aside from the joking, there is also um, something that is very specific for radishes. And that is that they are sensitive in the development of their bulbs, of the bulbous tissue. And I was interested to study this. And um, the, the 
the tendency to make big radishes depends on a bunch of things. Yeah. Enough water, good nutrition, and most importantly, enough light. And so we, we don't consider light as an important factor when we study roots, for example, because they don't photosynthesize. Yeah. But the radishes allow us to look in all these different aspects and they give us answers. And I think they look good. There's one more thing. When you go and buy a radish, it always looks so beautiful, just like the one that you have on your logo. It's <laughs> perfect. Yes. But when you grow radishes, especially in the APH, the radishes get big. We, we can prove it now. But they also don't look quite as beautiful. Yeah. That means the epidermal skin is torn. And I would like to find out why that is. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe the uh, expansion is not uniform, something like this. We don't know that yet. But we hope to find out once they come back. I have to say that I have grown radishes in my garden, in the soil, and they don't come out like the ones in the supermarket either. So, so why is that? Do you know? No, I don't know. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun to find out? It's probably because I'm rubbish at watering things, <laughs> I imagine. So, yeah, maybe. There's a well, clue for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should tell you that the advanced plant habitat measures carefully how much water you can supply. Yeah. And so what we did do was optimizing the water usage for the plants. But that may not be the optimum for the development of beauty in the rabbit, in the radishes. So I don't know. <laughs> so um, I think you chose a particular variety, Cherry Bell. Was there any reason why you chose that one? Yes. We, we selected that because out of about, I would say, a dozen different varieties, they had the best germination rate and they were mature in a very uniform way the fastest. So uh, other radishes take 10 days longer. And so um, time is money. And as a result, we <laughs> uh, chose the radishes that grew uh, best and, and most reliably and, and fastest. That was the reason for using that particular variety. And that's really interesting. So, I mean, I, I have been watching um, the updates from the ISS as, as this experiment has gone on. And Kate Rubens, um, NASA's astronaut, has been, you know, doing a wonderful job, it looks like, of, of looking after the radishes. Yeah, so, definitely. Uh, <laughs> um, and she has just harvested the first of, of two sets. So are you, are you pleased with how it's going so far? Yeah, yeah. So um, I can tell you that she did a great job. This this was amazing. I watched her doing what she did. and um, But the thing is that when you translate how much time something takes on the ground to, to do things, yeah. you don't consider that you have to, you can't say go from A to B. You have to float. And floating takes a little longer than walking. <laughs> so the point is that the entire prep work takes longer, much yeah. longer. Yeah. As a result, you could only uh, do three quarters of the 20, 15 out of the 20 um, 
plants could be properly documented. Okay. And then she, she ran out of time. She actually used her sleep time oh. to, to work um, on these radishes. The problem is that uh, I wanted to know what the size of the leaves are. So yeah. she had to take pictures of them as they were spread out. And this all took longer than planned. And, um, yeah, uh, as a result, I have the, the data from only 15 out of the 20 plants. But, uh, you know, they all look good. Yeah. But there's another thing that is uh, also interesting. When you look at leaves, use space-grown leaves, you, you find the tendency to have a dry um, region on the periphery, on, on the outer margin of the leaves. Okay. And that is peculiar. Yeah, and yeah. so I don't know if this is a space syndrome or a gardening syndrome. <laughs> I don't know. No. We see it. We see it also on um, our ground controls. And it's just interesting. I don't know what that is. Okay. It, so it has to do with the hardware, with the APH somehow. Ah. I wonder if the air is too dry or something like that. The humidity too low. Dryness is the result of an imbalance between too little water and too much uh, transpiration. Yes. So why that would affect the rim of the leaf and not the middle, I don't know. But it is a very striking observation on these things. So you're going to have to wait a little while before you get the samples back and you can have a look though, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We will actually uh, take a look if the the mineral distribution in the leaves is different yeah. between the dry and the not dry um, portions of the leaves. Okay. So we we will investigate everything very very meticulously. <laughs> there, there are all these questions and answers, you know, that we hope to get from from these plants. Uh, that is absolutely fascinating. I'm going to be keeping an eye out for that and see what we learn from that. So you have a second batch of radishes. Do you know when they're going to be started? Yeah, they have started already. Oh, okay. Yes, and, and one, uh, so what we do, um, we, we have 20 positions in, in the uh, Science carrier is the term that they use for this um, contraption. Yeah. And so we have 20 positions on this. And to make sure that we have sufficient customers, <laughs> we, we plant three seeds in each position. Yeah. And Kate is going to remove two of these um, three seedlings so that we look only for the biggest and most beautiful and everything like this wants to retain so that we, you know, predispose the experiment to the best possible outcome. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what a gardener would do on earth. They would thin out the weaker seedlings and leave the, leave the best that's ones. What it is. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Later today, based on the, the pictures that, that I have right now, I will have to put, for some reason, pink dots on the plants that are going to be the survivors. Okay. Yeah. It's like a reality TV show. <laughs> <laughs> you are the weakest radish. Goodbye. <laughs> it's right. a little bit sad. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so far, the astronauts haven't been able to eat any of the radishes. They're all coming back for analysis. Are there any plans to let them eat any of the second batch or are, are those for analysis too? 
uh, they, they will be analyzed. And the reason for for doing this in parallel or uh, sequential, I should say, is that we want to learn how reproducible uh, the cultivation is. Yeah. You know, um, you, you may have um, a bad situation and uh, we want to know on average whether we can predict that the the environmental um, controls work as we hope they will. And the only way to do it is to replicate this. And that's the reason for the second grow out. Okay. Stepping aside from the radishes slightly, why do you think it's important for astronauts to be growing plants in space? Well, <laughs> interesting. I think there are two reasons. Okay. One is they really enjoy dealing with living things that don't run away. <laughs> <laughs> so when you deal with mice, they don't do that. You know, they, they don't like to be handled. They bite you and all this. And, and radishes don't, or plants don't do that. <laughs> but equally important is that um, when you grow fresh plants, you have something of a chemical factory that provides you with nutrients and vitamins that are really valuable, that you cannot really store um, in a pill form, nor is the pill as tasty as um, we hope the radishes are going to be. And so the, the, the flavor and the, the knowledge that you cared for something that you actually can then consume is satisfying and it's um, called call it inspirational yeah. or, you know, uh, pacifying for the eagerness of, of the, the space stress, what have you. <laughs> and and um, it has good psychological effects on the crew. This has been documented several times. Unfortunately, there is no real um, way to quantify this. You know, this is always a, uh, uh, you know, something that you hear in passing, but, but there, there is, there is yeah. no a, a defined scientific study for this. Anyways, uh, I take it as very important to keep the crew happy, and this is what <laughs> that accomplishes. <laughs> Excellent. So this, um, this is a bit of an aside. Do we know whether radishes grown in space or will taste the same as radishes grown on Earth? Do we have an answer to that question? <laughs> a very interesting point. So there the, are the two issues, or there the are a few issues. One is not everyone likes radishes. No. Not everyone likes broccoli. And why is that? Because they, these people have um, an aversion against one of the ingredients that is common in the brassicaceae of which the radishes and Arabidopsis and broccoli are all members. Yeah. And these compounds are called the glucosinolates. And they provide that pungy taste to, to brassicaceae. Yeah. So if, if, if you have a dislike for these plants, you are not a good taster. You know, because you just don't like it. Yeah. If, if you do like it and you like uh, spicy food and, and things like that, then you are a good taster. So what I don't know is what the gustatory preference of the crew is. <laughs> I have no idea if they like radishes or not. 
So I don't know if they're good in judging. Do they taste just mm. as well as what we buy in the grocery store yeah. or not? That's one of the problems. Yeah. But I'm so eager to have them sample the radishes. But there are people who are concerned about a thing called food safety. Yeah. And they give us a hard time letting Kate or, or someone else sample these radishes. Yeah. But I'm optimistic. <laughs> real. So it's, they say that in space your, your sense of taste is very much dulled and astronauts like spicy food and things like that. But again, I think it, it depends a little bit on the person. So it's quite, the, the, the customer has changed and like, has the radish changed as well in the, you know, yeah. the interaction of those two. It's fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to, to really answer the question then, you know, because you have too many variables. Yeah. One thing, um, I, I have a postdoc, Susan, and she suggested before they harvest anything after the first round, can they just take a sniff and see if the, <laughs> if the, the, the air in the chamber smells like radish? And that they did do. And they confirmed, yes, it smells like the radish is growing. <laughs> so, but the point is that we have now anecdotal evidence that the, the volatile organic compounds that are released by radishes are similar <laughs> in space to what we see in the ground. Because you can smell this when you grow them in, in a yeah. closed container, you, you, you get a sense of, of, yes, this is a radish. And so the same is true in space. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so on a more personal note, if you were going to join a colony on the moon or on Mars and you could only take one plant with you, sort of a pet plant, what would you take and why? <laughs> Difficult well, question. <laughs> this, this, you know, you 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 touch on, on sensitive things because plants, as I just explained, have different functions. Yes. I guess I would say we can graft something onto potatoes. Okay. <laughs> so we have a hybrid. There are many hybrids. Yeah. And why do I say potatoes? Because you have a starchy compound that is really valuable for the nutrition. Okay. And when you look up close to a potato flower, it's actually very beautiful. They are, yes. And so you take then a graft <laughs> and you put on top of the potato, say, a tomato. Okay. You know, they're in the same family. They yep. like each other. You can have a Mars potato tomato. Uh, I've seen them marketed on Earth as like tomatoes or, or pomatoes. Yeah, uh, exactly so, that. <laughs> so you want <laughs> you want to take a pomato? <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting choice. So you're so you think you're going to get two food crops and pretty flowers? And and pretty flowers, yeah, which is important, you know. Yeah. Maybe they can provide a little vase or something to keep beauty. Yeah. Around you and then keep you happy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, multi-purpose yeah. plant. You've packed a lot into your, your one plant. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
thank you so much, Carl, for coming on the show today. It's been uh, it's been huge amounts of fun listening to you talk about your work, and I'm sure everybody who's listening will be keeping an eye on your radishes. Thank you. That's it for this episode. You'll find the show notes on my website, theunconventionalgardener.com, which is also home to a virtual tip jar for those of you who'd like to support the show. If you want to become a regular supporter, you can sign up via patreon.com forward slash gardeners of the galaxy and gain access to extended episodes and bonus content. And a big Gardeners of the Galaxy thank you to Michael Wilkinson, who has done just that. This is the final episode for 2020, and I hope you will join me as I blast off on fresh space plant adventures next year. Thanks for listening, and happy holidays. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control, confirming termination of your signal. We've had a request that you stop supplying your surplus zucchini to the moon colony. They've had about as much zucchini bread as they can stomach. Mission Control out. <laughs>